Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine in Boston. I'm Michael Jonas. Can once thriving industrial cities thrive again in the post-industrial age? That's the question, or one might say the challenge, put forward by the Gateway Cities Initiative in Massachusetts. The effort was started by some of my colleagues here at Mass Inc., and it's celebrating its 10th anniversary. Some of that happened with the annual Gateway Cities Awards event last week in Lawrence, and it's being marked by the publication this month of a pretty spiffy new magazine named, appropriately enough, Gateways, which tells some great stories of what's happening in Gateway Cities. And here to talk about all that and more are Ben Foreman, who is Massing's Research Director and the Director of the Gateway Cities Innovation Institute, and Maureen McNerney, Public Affairs Associate here at Mass Inc., and the person most responsible for getting Gateway's magazine done and out the door just days ago. So welcome, Ben. Thanks, Michael. And Maureen, known here to friend and foe alike as Mo. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us, Michael. So, so Ben, just sort of take us back a little bit to 10 years ago when this whole effort got launched. What was the impetus behind it, the thinking around the need for, for an effort focused on, uh, on these communities that, uh, that, that we've dubbed Gateway Cities, uh, uh, sort of a name that's really taken off and stuck now in, in the Commonwealth and I think even, even more broadly across the country. Well, the impetus was a report that Massing put out. It was John Schneider's baby. Uh, I think folks know John. He's from Pittsfield, grew up there. His father worked at GE. A regular guy from Pittsfield, as he always told us. And a great American. Yes, right who moved to Lowell uh, uh, to raise his family and spent a lot of time around the state and appreciated the great history of our gateway cities, appreciated working people and the opportunities they found uh, in gateway cities, and was deeply concerned that as we became this tech economy, everything focused on Kendall Square, that we'd be forgetting these important places and... uh, forgetting about making policy that puts them in a position to own homes, build equity, educate their children, and get good jobs, build retirement, so forth, all things that are kind of bread and butter to Massing's mission of promoting the growth and vitality of the middle class. And so it really, I mean, it kind of was sort of driven by this sense that while parts of Massachusetts were booming, that, that you know, people and communities were being left behind in this transformation to sort of a post-industrial economy, right? Yeah, and to really answer your question, so John did this report, put it out. I worked on it as a research assistant in the Brookings Institution in Washington at the time. Um, but the communities the report profiled called Mass Inc. and said, hey, guys, nice of you to pay attention to us. Are you going to actually help us do something about this? Or are you going to just go off and write your next report that will sit on a shelf and nothing will happen? And, and I, John said, uh, you know, great to hear from you. Let's figure out what we can do. And he sat down um, with those leaders over um, many months and talked about what, what could happen here. And they came upon the idea that let's get our mayors together. Let's have them sign a compact up at the old state house and really send a signal to Boston that the gateway cities uh, were important and they were going to bind together and have their voices heard. And so I, it really did put the put the sort of issue and the gateway cities on the map, not that they weren't already, but I think it put them, you know, into the consciousness up on Beacon Hill in a way that they maybe had not for, for some time. I mean, what have been the, 
the sort of fruits of that effort, or where do you see over these 10 years sort of a new focus on them, whether it's, you know, at the state level or just kind of a sort of new energy coming from the cities themselves, uh, you know, that might have been spurred in some part by this, by the, by the Gateway Cities Initiative and, and this belief that, you know, that the state of things now doesn't, or what they had been, it doesn't have to be how it'll always be, and that there really is sort of a positive future for these cities, not just kind of one of sort of continued decline. Well, I think, you know, we had two kind of objectives all along. One was to unify the gateway cities so they could marshal their political capital. You know, I think as any one city, they couldn't move much of an agenda in the legislature. Their delegations weren't that large, and they were sort of split because most of their representatives have the city, but they also have surrounding communities that look very different than these cities. So trying to get their political forces on the same page in terms of what priorities were and how they were going to tackle them one by one was one objective. And the other was to brand the gateway cities as really unique jewels in the Commonwealth's crown and places that uh, were an asset to us as we move forward, and we should start thinking of them that way, not as the past, but as the future. And I think really the culmination of that work is, in some ways, our, our Gateways magazine that Maureen can talk about. But early on, the Globe did an editorial series on Gateway Cities. Architecture Boston did an issue on Gateway Cities. So the, the brand started to, to develop, um, and I think sometimes the brand had this connotation of being places that were really struggling, um, and, and we, we definitely don't want that to be the logic for the gateway cities. The logic is they're special places. That so it's not what was me or something like that. Yeah, no, so it's much. not. Let's pay attention to them because they, you know, are stuck in a real deep rut. It's mm -hmm. let's pay attention to them because there's something very special there that we should really take advantage of and have it be based on assets, not on deficits. So I think... This brand in this magazine, Maureen will talk about this, is really about continuing to really get that word out and reinforce, like, if you take a look at what's happening here, it is pretty special. Um, and there's the makings of something even more powerful if we really do what we say we're going to do and make a big bet on Gateway Cities, which we're still waiting to see the state do. So that's, so the state has kind of begun to recognize this, but, but you think there's a good bit more? That could be done. I mean, obviously, a lot of this energy starts at the local level and in the cities themselves. What is it that, you know, what's the gap been in terms of state leaders beginning to recognize this, but not not coming through to the degree you'd like to see? Or what, what, what do you want to see at the state level right now? Well, I, we, we've got a Gateway Cities Legislative Caucus that has done a lot of amazing work. And, mm -hmm. you know, they've been very organized with Tony Cabral's leadership and Ben Downing's leadership and now Senator Lester's leadership on the Senate side for a lot of years. Um, they meet monthly. I think they're doing great work. Um, and l let me come back to what we want to see, but I think it's important for Maureen to talk a little bit about the vitality that's out there and some of the kind of energy that has been fomented by that. So, yeah, jump, jump in, Mo, and whether it's what you've seen generally in your work out there or, or, or in particular when you started to try to think about a, a magazine to tell some of the stories. I mean, uh, I, I would guess you kind of had a sense of some of those already because you'd spent time in the gateway cities, but the process of, of kind of scouting out stories also maybe uncovered stuff that even that you weren't aware of or 
talk, talk a little about that. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of strong connections to, to the governance question as well. Um, one characteristic of these cities from that perspective is that it's a lot of work to run cities. It's a lot of work to run these cities in particular. They have historic assets. Uh, they also have infrastructure problems and a constant need for, for more tax dollars than they're currently collecting in a lot of cases. And so you start to see um, very innovative mayors. You start to see through the legislative caucus them start to think about bigger picture policy that could affect them. Um, so when we've got such a disparity between the way that Boston functions and the way that these cities function, uh, there was a need to really advocate for an urban policy that would that would be accommodating. And so uh, Mass Inc. comes along, Ben and John uh, initiate this work, and Ben has continued it um, in an incredible manner. And that's really when we talk about understanding these communities and starting to recognize that vitality, it really started with Ben just spending time out there. Um, they consider him a rock star. He goes out there to present research and people really, really, it means something to them that he is talking about them. And ben, I, Ben's turning red here. I just want to note everybody. Into an infomercial. No, I'm just Come on, saying. Mark, we, get to the people. We, the people go are... to, we go to Worcester and they say, yes, we are ready to take this and run with it. And that's the attitude that really makes this work easy to do is mm -hmm. because they uh, embrace the opportunity for change and they're excited by it and they've got the pieces and they, they enjoy having us as a catalyst for that. So that's what put us out in those places. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's starting to recognize a few things. We had a great conversation to kick this magazine off with um, Mayor Tyre of Pittsfield, uh, who's doing really great work, especially with a commitment to inclusivity and uh, celebrating the new diversity of a city like Pittsfield, but also former Mayor Roberto, who was there at the beginning, who can talk about that sort of energy that Ben said, where it was the mayors that wanted this. It was the Patrick administration that took them up on it. Uh, and then expanding in from 11 cities to 26 was a really important move. Uh, and we look at cities like uh, we featured on the cover of this magazine, Beyond Walls and Lynn. You know, Lynn wasn't one of our original gateway cities, and it clearly is indicative of the spirit, this drive, um, and these really exciting projects. So I could talk more specifically about, about any of the stories, but I just think overall, um, you know, there were these really great moments through our research that we started to say the people that were coming to the table had their own stories to be told. And that's really the connection that we tried to make with this magazine as opposed to our normal research. And what was, and so you're trying to sort of tell the stories of these cities through through some of these. I mean, I, I thought that it the start of it with the, the former and the current mayor of Pittsfield was a great way to do it because it does seem like there is this theme that, that I mean, there are great assets in these cities, but they don't—they're uh, not realized on their own. I mean, you do need—you do need strong leadership and and forward-looking leadership, or as, as as they've emphasized, leadership that's looking to be inclusive, that's not sort of uh, trading on sort of divisions or divisiveness, which which they both spoke to, and they also uh, I think mentioned even that uh, even before them, Ed Lambert, who was back in the day the the mayor in Fall River, was a key player as well. So it really does start with with leadership on the ground. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple of things. The conversation piece with, with the two mayors of Pittsfield was the one contribution I worked on in the magazine. I think Maureen did 95% of this, this great effort. Uh, 
I was trying to follow your great conversation style from Commonwealth and realized how hard that is, Michael, in, in, in conducting that interview with those two. But it was like the, the one thing I really learned from this, which was really a chance to reflect for me, was, you know, when Mayor Roberto started 15 years ago in Pittsfield, people were really pessimistic, like I think they are in much of the country today. And if you go to Pittsfield today, people are really optimistic. So how did he bring his residents from a place of really doubting their ability to do something together and, uh, and make their community stronger to a place that still has really significant challenges, um, but is, is working hard and collaboratively and trying to meet those challenges? And I think it's not just Pittsfield where we see that. I think across our gateway cities, you don't see, you see function more than dysfunction. You see people that are really proud about what they've achieved and they're working tirelessly and they're not uh, divided and hostile about things that people actually really do have a right to be angry about and are not perfect by any means. So, you know, I really think that is the success of gateway city leaders working collaboratively, working through many of the state programs that gave them a chance to plan, envision, and build. I, 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 think, um, I think there is a real story there that we can be proud of. Um, at the same time as we look at the fundamentals for our gateway cities and see things that are really concerning, and I think there's a, a long way to go in, in terms of making them economic engines um, and building back a true economic base. And I'll say, um so we've got great leadership. We've got communities that are really embracing their homes and their opportunities. And there's still a bit of a stigma looking from the outside into these places. There's still this really uh, sense of elitism around Boston in the suburbs. Um, and you know it, it, it follows us in everything from school choice, being able to move into the district of your choosing through where you wanna start and run your business. And so part of our mission uh, through this magazine in particular is to say, let's introduce you to a story that's so compelling. Let's introduce you to a person that's outstanding. And then you'll realize that, that this person is as brilliant as anyone that works in Boston or Cambridge, and they live in their hometown, and they're proud to be there. And so this is a really high-touch, personal uh, exploration of these cities. It's a reintroduction. It's a rebranding. Uh, and it's us sharing our sense of pride and the city's sense of pride uh, in themselves with the rest of the Commonwealth. I think that's a really important step. We've come a really long way in terms of governance and in terms of how these places are functioning. And now it's time that the rest of uh, Massachusetts really gets on board with that. I think one trend you see in this too is that as bigger cities have really kind of rebounded, people who want to be agents of change and want to help a community um, build are drawn to gateway cities as a place to do that work and you come across people like al wilson and lynn you know who's not a lynn native right has kind of spent some time in lynn saw the opportunity there and, and decided to really invest right or, his or, energy in or i was struck that you have a couple of stories by folks who had sort of spread their wings and left these gateway cities for what looked like much brighter greener pastures but have returned the uh, folks that uh, mo wrote about uh the nash brothers i think Yes. Um, it, going back to Pittsfield, the fellow Chris Resendiz, who also had left, or you know, but then decided to build his business uh, down on the South Coast. Um, so they're they're really what that that did come through in it. And I and I was wondering about this whole sense that 
you know, we are in a way maybe that I think is a little different than when the Gateway Cities effort started. You know, we're in this period nationally where this sort of talk about, you know, cool cities and, and cities that were not really thought of as that cool, places like Detroit, which is uh, where I grew up near, you know, that are seeing this, this resurgence of interest. Uh, so is that something that, you know, you all have been able to draft on, or do you think that's, that's giving a little tailwind to these efforts in, in these cities in the state? As a Syracuse, New York native, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, even there you just go. six years ago, leaving Syracuse, um, it wasn't a particularly exciting place, and I've seen that happen in my own hometown as I've been working here with the Gateway Cities. I think a couple of important things, um, you know, the Nash brothers started Blue Q in Boston. They were right. Pittsfield natives. After about six years, they moved back there. And they're absolute cornerstones of that community. And what is now. Blue Q? Just tell folks. Blue you know, Q is succinctly. It's a little hard to describe from reading the story. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, it is a gift manufacturing company, um, a producer of joy-bringing products. So think about your everyday products and uh, small improvements on them, like putting uh, sassy sayings on um, socks or hand sanitizer or oven mitts. Uh, that are really just laugh out loud funny. I really recommend going to their website and taking a look at their products because it's bizarre and hysterical. Um, and they employ about 60 folks out in Pittsfield now. They have a real commitment to, to hiring adults with disabilities. They you know, power their facility with solar. Um, every opportunity, they just did something better. And they talk really briefly about how they were afraid that moving from Boston to Pittsfield would lose their urban edge. Uh, that the brand really kind of relies on this this in-tuneness with what's funny and what is attractive to, um, you know, its sales to the population that's going to be buying their products. And they were soon um, sort of reintroduced to the embarrassingly cool options of art and culture is what they told me. Pittsfield is a very artistic, very creative place, and it ended up being the perfect place to have this really creative economy. Um, and I don't think that's how everyone on the eastern half of the state perceives it. But it, you know, who better to talk about it than somebody who knows both sides? And Chris Resendez moved all over the country, could have been working in California today. But he, while you know, kind of traveling around and finding his niche, uh, John Mitchell, uh, the mayor of New Bedford, built a strong enough innovation economy and a commitment to, to fostering this kind of work that Chris could settle few miles from where he grew up and went to high school with the mayor, actually. So, Just quick before you throw us out, Michael, I, I want to get back to your question about policy and where we're going in that regard. Sure. And two things, you know, if you were at our event this week where we talked, or last week, where we talked a lot about these strategies um, and the work that these good people are doing, there were a ton of references to the Transformative Development Initiative and Mass Development and how helpful that's been. That was the creation of the Gateway Cities legislative caucus to create a program at mass development that put mid-career fellows in gateway cities for three years to work with the communities and organize them around um, efforts to bring investment into targeted areas. It provided a lot of capacity for mass development to do strategic planning, site acquisition. It's, it's you know, a really a model nationally. Other states are starting to look at it now. We've got a lot of work to do to sustain that program and scale it. They're just entering into their second phase and adding new districts this year. So I think that is kind of one stake in the ground that we have is really important to building really vibrant gateway cities. But really, for gateway cities, I, the future is about how you build a middle class from within for the most part. 
and are these places where families come and find economic mobility? And all the data that we see on that question are troubling. We spend so much time talking about MCAS results in Gateway Cities. I think we ought to spend a lot more time looking at what the earnings of Gateway City graduates are. That's ultimately the measure that tells us whether public education is an equalizing force. When you look at those data, and we're just starting to get our first glimpses of them, um, they're, they're really showing us that there isn't much mobility for low-income students in these districts. And I think you know, we've talked about this back and forth lots of times, but we understand what an effective school is today, what the dimensions of an effective public education are, and we're not offering all of those to, to our Gateway City students. And it's clear that the resources we're providing for public education, the resources these cities have available, are insufficient to meet that need. Um, and that, that is a, a policy uh, question that we're going to have to tackle at some point in the future if we're ever going to have Gateway Cities be launching pads and escalators to the middle class for which, the future. Which is really, I mean, we didn't really even get into that at the very beginning, but the whole term gateway cities has sort of, you know, operates on multiple levels, right, in terms of uh, the, the way it's been thought of as sort of gateway to the middle class. These are gateways often for newcomers to the United States. So that works in a lot of ways. Yeah, and um, I think increasing the socioeconomic diversity of our gateway cities, which is happening slowly and drawing investment in, mm -hmm. is on some level good for everybody. Right. Um, but it is not going to provide the kind of... Uh, leg up that people really need in order to make it into the innovation economy that we have today. Right. So there is a little bit of a, I don't know, disconnect or sort of two different tales. I mean, of these kind of, you know, energetic, younger entrepreneurs or people that are seeing opportunity in gateway cities. I mean, that's a great thing for those cities, but it's still a somewhat separate issue and matter from from what's happening with the kind of question of mobility of, 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 of folks there in those cities. And families that have arrived there, right? Yeah, but I think, you know, we could talk about this on a whole other episode. I think almost as much or more innovation has gone into public education in Gateway Cities, mm -hmm. and there's some excellent things happening there, mm -hmm. uh, but they're far from enough, and I think they're going to require special state support uh, to, to get those school districts where they need to be. Gateway City leaders have worked hard to move an education agenda, uh, and it's like hitting a wall. Um, we really haven't made any progress on when you, whether it's the foundation budget issues or the expansion of uh, early education, scaling programs up like early college that we know work. There's mm -hmm. talk about it, but is there the resource and wherewithal to do that? Public higher education. Massachusetts doesn't invest in public edu higher education like other states. It's a system that's disproportionately utilized by Gateway City residents, so the extent that we're underfunding it, we're underfunding opportunity for those those youth, those people. So uh, there's a there's a lot that, that we're going to need to continue to work on in order to make further progress. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe just one final thought, and this is a little bit out of left field given the, you know, the, the discussion we've had about the needs and challenges of the cities, but I do often wonder whether is there any sort of ability to peer ahead uh, at the possible sort of downside, you know, of kind of rebirth, you know, gentrification, that you know, people talk about in other cities. I think it's already a concern in some of the bigger cities in areas of Detroit that are seeing this rebirth. And I know some of the story of stories of Lowell, which I think in some ways was kind of a forerunner of the Gateway Cities effort. It started to see some rejuvenation a little earlier. And you hear stories about artists in Boston who've sort of flocked to Lowell because of 
the uh, you know more the affordability there. And and again, there's no perfect comparison, but there's kind of an echo of. I mean, that's sort of what happened in Brooklyn. Brooklyn was the place to, for artists to go at one point when they were priced out of New York. So, um, you know, it's it, this is the always like the sixty four thousand dollar question of how do we bring back cities and make them places that that folks of various means can still make a life and remain. Do you, you have some thoughts, Mo, on that? Yeah, I think um, some upcoming research is going to focus on transit-oriented development, um, and that's going to certainly have to have uh, an equity component to it. And the other thing is making sure that folks are at the table, making sure that that the governments that represent these folks and that work for them are representative of the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that Mass Inc. can do better always, uh, that the cities, you know, we've seen really great strides towards making them more inclusive and making sure that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Um, so there's always a, a renewed commitment to that, um, and we could always be working towards that. And then you've got stories like a test kitchen in Lawrence, um, where it was actually a partnership between Salupoli, a private business owner, uh, the community college, obviously an asset to the city and to the neighborhood. And you, you're, you've got that fostering um, small businesses, in this case, Coco Ray's being uh, sort of an immigrant story, the celebration of, of their native cuisine and bringing that into a brick and mortar that gives them the opportunity to fail. Um, we talk about education, it's not just K through 12. Folks aren't necessarily prepared to start a business, um, which would be both beneficial to themselves and the community. We need sort of these opportunities to incubate these ideas. If, you know, if they're not coming in with all of the skill set, then let's let's fill in those gaps. And I think that there are folks that are out there that are doing that work, and we can scale that. Okay, great. This has been a really great conversation, you guys. I, I, I uh, want to thank you for taking the time to talk. Uh, ben, Mo, thanks again. And this has been another episode of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. Check out Gateways Magazine online, uh, gatewaysmag.org. And you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Listen to us again next week. And in the meantime, have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks again. Bye.